Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, and I just want to spend some time on that because I think it's very, very important. And uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and not to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a very vivid contrast. So if I was going to play a little basketball, which I'm not really a basketball player, I was more of a football player, and I was not built for speed nor height. I was kind of slow, and uh, I played basketball up to about the eighth grade, and then uh, went on to something else, but uh, it, uh, it, it is good. You ready? Here we go. So we, we could play some basketball, and you know we could pass back and forth, and probably Lisa can dunk it. But... <laughs> If we try to play with this, it doesn't bounce good. And the only way you're going to cure that is you've got to put some pneuma in it. And there's a lot of believers that are going around, they're about as flat as that basketball because they don't have the pneuma in them, still the basketball. But it's just not quite as uh, lively and good and usable as the other one that's filled with the air. I think you got that, don't you? And so really that's true about the Holy Spirit. That we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not only in our personal life, but in our church. If you have your Bible tonight, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Let's begin at the beginning. And Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. And before he ascends, he meets with his disciples Verse 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here he is getting ready to go back to heaven. He's with the disciples and he says, before you go out and do what I've commissioned you to do, I want you to go back and I want you to wait and tarry for the promise of the Father. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're looking for a natural kingdom. How many of you know the Lord is talking about a spiritual kingdom at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So you want to just think about that last line because it's going to come into play a little bit later. So after Jesus' ascension, uh, the disciples returned to the upper room there in Jerusalem where they ate that last supper or Passover. And they're now waiting and they're tearing for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, who is in the upper room? Good questions. Um, all the apostles are there except Judas. He has... Uh, uh, already been dead for a while. And uh, if I would give you those names, it would be Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, uh, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, also known as Thaddeus. So there are 11 apostles up in that room. Also with them is Matthias and Joseph Barsabbas, surnamed Justice. And one of those is going to be the new apostle and the lot fell upon Matthias. So they're both in that upper room. Also, the third group that's in that upper room is called the women. Say that with me, the women. Now we don't know who all the women are, but they're just referred to as the women. Now the other um, name given is Mary, the mother of Jesus is in the upper room. And then lastly, the reference is to the brothers of Jesus. And those brothers would be James and Joseph, or Joseph, Judas, also called Jude, and Simon. So we have their names given in other passages of the New Testament. We also know that Jesus had sisters, and maybe they're with the women, because we have no names for them. But the Bible's very clear, there are 120 in that upper room. Now, you're going to hear this sometime in your life. Well, you know, only the apostles received the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that is not biblically accurate? 
Well, only men received the Holy Spirit. That is not biblically accurate. So there were disciples, some apostles, some not. There were men, and there were also the women, and some of the women have a name, and that's only Mary, the mother of Jesus. So now we know who's in the upper room. They're waiting, they're tearing for the promise of the Father, which is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had talked about the Holy Spirit, John 14, uh, John 16. And so through his ministry, he began to talk about the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, at one time before this, he breathed on his apostles and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Now go with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided or cloven tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So tonight I want to be as biblically accurate as I can be, and everyone has a version, or maybe they, they have a take on this, but how many of you know the Bible is the ultimate authority on what happened at the day of Pentecost and there beyond? And just like we saw in the video, it was the birth of the church with power after Jesus died, gave his life, shed his blood, was buried and resurrected on the third day. Now notice some of the things that we have descriptive here as a rushing mighty wind. Would you say that with me? As a rushing mighty wind. So one of the characteristics and the descriptive things that we see about the Holy Spirit is like a rushing mighty wind. And it appears here in Acts chapter 2. You know it was a strong and mighty wind that parted the Red Sea. And so we see the wind blowing and parting the sea. Psalm chapter 22, verse 11. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. So we know that the Lord has appeared with the wind. We know the power of the wind in the part of the Red Sea. And then we have another descriptive line here, divided or cloven tongues like fire. So these are not in the Bible just for filler. How do we know every part of this means something? And so fire is indicative of God. So fire is symbolic of God. Exodus 3, when God spoke to Moses, he spoke out of the burning bush. He spoke out of the fire. When God gave the pillar of fire to Israel, it guided them by night. At night, when they camped, the pillar of fire rested over the tabernacle in the wilderness, and it, it was the presence of God. Uh, Exodus chapter 24, the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire. The fire was over that tabernacle. They saw it. Every sacrifice, every offering that they gave upon the altar was given through and by fire. And the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12, the fire on the altar should never, ever go out. How many of you know in the church the fire should never, ever go out? And this is really our mandate today to keep the fire burning within the context of the church. And the only thing that would really uh, be that for the church is that all of us individually still have the fire of God in us because we are the church. It's not the building, it is us. Um, I don't know if you know a guy in the Bible by the name of Manoah, Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. They're the mother and father of Samson. And if you have any reference of that birth, you know, they weren't able to have children like so many other couples in the Bible. And they're praying for a son. And the angel comes down, the angel of the Lord, and begins to address Mr. and Mrs. Noah that you're going to have a son. You're going to have him take the Nazarite vow, no razor on his head. He's only going to eat certain things. He's going to be set apart. And after the angel had given them this wonderful news, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Noah offered a sacrifice to God. And, you know, you, you have the wood and the fire, and you put the, the offering on the, the sacrifice uh, altar, and you, you burn it. And let me tell you what the angel did as he departed. He stepped into the fire, and then he went up. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty wild. So we have the, the connotation of fire over and over in the Bible because it's indicative of the Holy Spirit. When Elijah's on Mount Carmel, God answered by fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And so the Holy Spirit comes like fire 
and it sat upon each of them. In Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. So Jeremiah said, I'm not going to speak of his name. I'm not going to give his word out. But he says, I can't not do it because it's like fire shut up in my bones. We need to never let the fire go out in the church. There's only about three, you know, um, really events that I preach on consistently throughout the year. One is Christmas, one is Easter, and I always like to talk about Pentecost because we never need to lose our roots. We never need to lose the birthing of the church in the Holy Spirit fire that fell on those disciples because that is the empowerment of the church. I like a little fire in my worship. Anybody like a little fire in the worship? I mean, I kind of like for them to get enthused, to have some passion. I kind of like for them to move up there and raise their hands and, and not just to be a stick in the mud and sing some old dead song that somebody wrote about 300 years ago. Okay, move on, Pastor. But you can sing those old hymns with fire too. And you don't want to lose those. So whether it's new or not new or 300 or 400 years old, it still needs to be sung with passion and with fire. So we don't want to lose that. We, we don't want to come in and just go through motions and go through uh, just rituals and tradition and routine. We want to feel the passion of God and the power of God and the fire of God in our worship. I like sermons with a little bit of fire in them, don't you? I mean, I don't apologize for that. I don't think Matt apologizes for it either. I mean, we want to get up and act like and to feel like and for it to be legitimate that we believe what we're preaching and that we're enthused about what we're preaching. Like a Jeremiah, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. And a lot of times people, you know, they, they kind of want the calm and, and the mundane, but I think our pulpits need some fire. I think America would be different if more pulpits had a little bit of fire in it. Someone said, if there's no fire in the sermon, you need to throw the sermon in the fire. Right? So there, there needs to be some passion. There, there needs to be some fire in it. And that's what the Holy Spirit brings to us, the passion of God. There's going to be fire and prayer. I remember the first time that uh, we invited Billy to a, a deacon and elder prayer meeting. And Billy's been raised in Pentecost all of his life. I mean, I don't think he knows anything but that. But we were at Mary and Randy's house, and we do this uh, pretty often. We didn't do it much during COVID. I mean, you know, 2020 almost put you fire out. But uh, we, we still sparked up. And uh, so we would do it, you know, pretty often. And I remember Billy coming one night to that prayer meeting. And when it was over, I said, Billy, how'd you like it? He said, man, you guys know how to pray. He said, I've never been to anything quite like that. But we got to keep the fire. And listen, you can't have the fire up here unless you have the fire behind the closed doors. So if it's just the fire up here, that's performance. That, that's just, uh, we're getting up and showing off. But if you have the fire behind the scenes and behind the door, and if you have the fire on your knees and, and as you worship and as you study and as you pray, then when you get up to minister, guess what happens? The fire is just there because you've been stoking the fire. You've been feeding the fire. You've got the poker like Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that is in you because that's what we have to have. And we don't ever want to lose that. We don't ever want that fire to go out. Because let me tell you, there's going to be a day in your life, in my life, and the life of our community and county, people are going to look for a place that still has the fire. Now, we, we, we don't need to be crazy, but we got to have the fire. Not strange fire, but God's fire. Because if you go through the Word of God, there was a couple of priests that... Offered strange fire. You know what the Lord did? He just killed them. Just killed them. Because they presented something that wasn't from the altar of God. So we're not here to perform or act. We want to be sincere about the fire in our worship, in our preaching, 
and in our prayer life. We, we want to have the fire of God in our life. Can I hear an amen? Now, look back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, but you shall receive power. It's the Greek word dunamis. Now, if you look at that word, not only the spelling of the word in, in the Greek, but also the pronouncing of the word, you see something here that we use every day. It's where we get the word dynamo and also dynamite. You see it there? So what does that mean? There is, there's power there. There's energy there. There's something that we have received. And this is what he said. You shall what? Receive the power. You don't have the power, but you have to what? Receive the power. Now what I want to do tonight is give you six aspects of the Holy Spirit in our life. Now these all six apply to every one of us here tonight. I don't care if you've been in the church six days or 60 years or whether you come from here, there, or yon, this is just the Word of God. This is not my opinion, it's just the Word of God. So here's the first thing. The Holy Spirit has come to us in power to give us the power to witness. So I'm going to go through these in sequence as they're received by the church in the book of Acts, the power to witness. Let me tell you something. It takes power to witness, to face someone, to invite someone. To ask someone to come to church with you or a, a, you know, a lunch with you or a, a Bible study with you or go to youth or a Sunday school class. It does take power to do that because this is what I've known over many, many years. Some people will try to shoot you down. Ooh, boom, crash and burn. Because you're all excited. I'm going to invite them. I'm going to share my faith with them. And all of a sudden you didn't get the response that you wanted. And it's going to take some power for you to do it again. It's going to take some boldness for you to do it again. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. So he says, you're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to give you the power to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the, of the world. So there is the power to witness. The second thing we find is the manifestation of tongues. So look with me in Acts chapter 2. So here they are in the upper room in Jerusalem. And as they wait... Somewhere between seven and ten days, they're waiting. And I've always wondered how many began in the upper room because we know how many ended up in the upper room. It's 120. Do you ever think sometimes people give up? They don't wait. They don't tarry. Now, the promises to them, but we know that there's 120 and they waited. And as they waited, as they tarried on the Lord, the Bible says something miraculous happened. Look at verse number four. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this was not their manifestation. It's the manifestation of what? The Holy Spirit. So they began to speak with other languages as the Holy Spirit moved upon them. So this fire from heaven came. It split cloven or diverse tongues and it set upon each of them and all 120 began to speak in languages that they did not know through their own intellect and there were about 15 different people groups that are listed in Acts 2 that begin to hear them speak in their own language. And they knew that these people did not know their language, but they're speaking in their language by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, aren't you glad it didn't stay in the upper room? Now listen, it spilled out from the room to the streets. What you have and what I have doesn't need to stay here in the church house. It's got to get out to the streets. If the kingdom's going to grow, if Ray of Hope's going to grow, if you're going to grow and I'm going to grow, then what we have been given doesn't stay in this house. It's got to move out. And now they have the manifestation of tongues in Acts chapter 2 verse 4. And they said, we hear everyone speak in our own language. They're declaring the wonderful works of God and the power of God. And that happens with these 15 different people groups that are listed in Acts chapter 2. Now, when it first happened, and, and you've read this, they thought these people were a little crazy. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. They thought they were drunk. And so Peter addresses that. He says, these men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only the, ninth, uh, the third hour of the day or nine o'clock in the morning. So uh, 
this is what he's saying. Most people don't get drunk by nine if they're going to get drunk. If they're drunk by nine, how many of you know they started really early? Or they're staying late? Come on now. Don't, don't be so holy. So he says, they're not drunk as you think. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So there's the manifestation of, uh, of tongues. Now here's the third aspect of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy, visions, and dreams. So I drop down to Peter's message. This is verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now what he's doing, Peter is quoting from Joel chapter 2. So this has already been prophesied that this would happen. So now he takes Joel chapter 2 and he's begin to quote Joel. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit is what? Prophecy, visions, and dreams. Listen, I, I know you can have dreams from ice cream and chili, but you can also have dreams from the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so prophecy, visions, and dreams. So maybe I'm dreaming more dreams than anything else lately because the old men shall dream dreams. Some of you get that on the way home. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about the supernatural manifestation of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, prophecy, vision, and dreams. So here's the fourth aspect of the Holy Spirit, and that is the gift part, because the Holy Spirit's a gift. You didn't do anything to earn it. You can't work for it. You can't be good enough for it in your own self. So if we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38-39, Peter said to them, Repent, every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you, your children, and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. Now, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's a gift. How many of you know salvation's a gift also? The gift of salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It's a gift. Holy Spirit is a gift. It's a grace gift. Now, it's also a promise. It's a gift that's promised. Now, if there's a gift that's promised to you, why would you not want it? Because it's there for you. It's there for me. It is a promised gift. It's not like a maybe gift. I think I'm going to get a gift. You know, my birthday is Saturday. Uh, I won't be here, but uh, Carrie and I, we're going to be in New Mexico, and we're going to go fly fishing on, on my birthday up in the mountains of New Mexico. We're going to hook everything within 50 yards of us. So we have a guide, and, and they're supposed to supply all the gear and everything we need. And so I, I hooked it all up, and I got on the phone, I called them. And so this is what Carrie said to me after I uh, got it all together. She said, Mike, you did tell them we've never been fly fishing before. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure they got it. I don't think we're probably the only people who've went with them that's never been fly fishing before. But here's the thing. If you're expecting a gift, if it's promised to you, well, hopefully you get it. But if God promises you a gift and it's available to you, you should say, Lord, I want it. Just as those disciples did 2,000 years ago, they said, okay, this is the promise of the Father. I'm going to go wait for the gift. And that's what they did. And so it is a gift. And he said, it's to you. Good news, right? But then he said, and it's to your children. It's for you, it's for your children. And then he makes another statement. He said, it's for those who are far off. Now, this far off line doesn't mean miles. It means time. So what is he saying? It's for you today, it's for your children, and it's for those that will come generation after generation after generation. It's for you and all those who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. So I want to tell you, this is a huge gift. It is broad in its scope. It, it covers an entire span of time, 
And I believe the Holy Spirit is the promised gift for us until Jesus Christ comes back. And let me tell you why. Because he said, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. If I go away, you're going to need some other comforter with you. And so when I leave, I'm going to send back the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's going to be with you until we arrive again. Boy, that's exciting, isn't it? So here is the promised gift that's available for everyone, even as many as the Lord our God will call. Now here's the fifth aspect of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness. Everybody say boldness. So look with me in Acts 4, and let me just set the scene. Acts 3, well let me go back. Acts 1, the promise is given, go back and tarry. Acts 2, they receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3, there is a lame man that is being set by the gate, going into the temple. One day, Peter and John go by that gate, and this man is begging, and Peter said, look on us, we don't have any silver and gold to give you. But we have something to give you. And he took him by the hand in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And this guy gets up whole. He's never walked. And now he is up leaping, jumping, walking, running. And he runs into the temple for the first time. And you say, why the first time? Because if you had that kind of physical condition, you were not allowed into that temple. But he runs into the temple, leaping and praising God. And everyone said, isn't this the guy we see every day except the Sabbath that's being laid at the gate of this temple? And let me tell you, he had their undivided attention. And there was a commotion. I mean, there was a big stir, not only around the temple, but even in Jerusalem. And now the priests are involved because this guy is healed. And now the priest examined him, and of course now Peter and John's name comes up, and then they bring Peter and John on the carpet, and they command them to not ever teach or mention Jesus' name anymore. And guess what they said? We can't do that. Matter of fact, what is it, Acts 4.12? For there is salvation and no other for there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. And they kept preaching. And they kept teaching. Now, they're commanded not to do this, but look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, they went back to the church. The place where they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. You know, we're living in a culture today, it's going to take some boldness to continue to do what we're doing today. It really is true. We're living in a culture, just hang on, whether I'm here or I'm not here or you're here or not here, I, I'm, I'm going to prophesy something here because the Bible's already spoke about it. In the days to come, it's going to be more increasingly difficult to do what we're doing in the church. Because the government and the culture is not going to allow this to continue uncontested. Just as we saw at the beginning of the church, they're contesting, they're pushing back the preaching of the word of God in the name of Jesus. Just as the church began, the church is going to end with that same opposition and you and I need to have some holy boldness. And let me tell you where we get it. We get it from the Holy Spirit. Because as they went before the Lord and they prayed. Now I don't know who all is in this group in Acts 4. But I know they had almost like a second Pentecost. Maybe those who were filled in Acts 2 obviously is is operating the power of the Holy Spirit, but maybe they've gathered some more since Acts 2. But listen to what it says. And the place was shaken, and they are all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Listen, if there's no opposition, you don't need the boldness. You just do it. But if there's a pushback, you need some holy boldness. 
to continue to do what you need to do. Now, here's the sixth thing, and we want to spend a little time here because I think it's really important also. This is the next verse, so remember what I just read. The Holy Spirit brings unity. The Holy Spirit brings unity. If there's ever a day we need unity, it's today. I mean, goodness gracious. We have racial dissension, division. We have not just white, black. It's, you know, brown, Asian. How many of you know what I'm talking about here? I mean, there's people attacking each other, not, not just verbally or, or socially. It's become physical. So there is a great division in not only our nation, but the world. So what do we need? We need unity. But look at this. This is Acts 4, so this is the next verse. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So we need the unity of the Holy Spirit. Paul reiterates this in Ephesians chapter 4. This is parts of 3 and 4. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, capital S. Now, who are we talking about? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. Notice what he says. There is one body. How do we know that one body is the body of Christ? That's us. We are the body on this earth. Is there a body in heaven? Absolutely. I believe that body in heaven has nail-scarred hands, and his name is Jesus. But we're the spiritual body on this earth. We become the hands, the feet, the mouthpiece of God on this earth. He says there is one body and one spirit. This one body is animated, powered, emboldened, by the Holy Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So here we have one, one, one. He keeps saying, we're one. We're not divided. I know who divides. That's the enemy. Diversity is godly. Division's devilish. God made a diverse world. Not all of us look the same uh, tonight. Thank God, right? We don't have the same financial status, educational status. We're not all the same color. But I'll guarantee you we're one in God because we're in the one body. And we've been baptized in that body, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, we've been baptized in this body by one spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. So I don't care what shingle is over the door, the church should be one body. There should not be schism. Our division, because the Holy Spirit brings us into unity. Now, the coming of the Spirit is one of the main themes in Dr. Luke's writing of the book of Acts. So Dr. Luke takes us in this historical journey through the early church, the book of Acts. So follow along with me, if you track with me just for a little bit tonight. Chapters 1 through 7 the infilling of the Holy Spirit is primarily Jewish. So Acts 1 through 7, the infilling of the Holy Spirit is primarily Jewish. But in Acts chapter 8, there is something else that happens. Philip goes to Samaria. And if you will, he holds a revival. The Bible says he preached Christ there. So as he preaches Christ there, some miraculous things begin to happen. People are healed, demons are cast out, people are baptized. Then Peter and John, hearing what is happening there in Samaria, they come to Samaria, and the Bible says these converts were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Peter and John laid their hands upon them, the Bible says these Samaritans who had believed on Jesus Christ, they received this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if I keep going to Acts 9, there's a persecutor of the church by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, we know, later becomes the Apostle Paul. And on the road to Damascus, the Lord interdicts Saul of Tarsus. He does a... <laughs> 
a slam dunk with him off his donkey, horse, camel, or whatever he's riding. And he blinds him, and he speaks to him, and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And then Saul responds, he says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus. Now, what the Lord does to Saul, who would later become Paul, he sends him to a street in Damascus. And I love the name of the street. Does anybody know the name of the street? A street called Straight. I don't even know. You find the Lord, you better get on Straight Street. <laughs> get off of the crooked street, get on Straight Street. And then Ananias comes and he prays for uh, Saul. And, and I love Ananias' reaction to the Lord speaking to him. And it's like, uh, Lord, do you know who this guy is? And the Lord said, no, could you tell me who he is? Well, this is the guy who's been persecuting the church, throwing people in prison, consenting to their death. And then the Lord says, Ananias, go on. He said, he's a, he's a vessel that I'm going to use, and he's going to have to suffer some things for what he's done. How many know that there is some reaping of what we've sown? But the good news is the Lord is full of mercy and grace. So he, he takes Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul, and he prays for him, and then Saul receives the gift of the Holy Spirit also. And we know that from Scripture. Now we move to Acts chapter 10. Now this is the first recorded incident we have of a Gentile being saved. Now we have a guy by the name of Cornelius, who's a centurion from the Italian band, and in Acts chapter 10, he's a good man. How many of you know you can be a good man but still lost? Because your goodness or your morality cannot save you. And so the, the Lord sent an angel and came down to speak to Cornelius. You need to send for a guy by the name of Peter. You know, he's down here at Joppa. Uh, he can tell you how to get saved. So Peter arrives and he preaches to Cornelius, his household, the people who he's gathered together. And while Peter is preaching about Jesus... The Bible says the Holy Spirit fell upon them, all of them in the house, and they began to receive the Holy Spirit just as they received it back in Acts chapter 2. So now these Gentiles that the Jews don't even think can be saved are receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of the Holy Spirit just as they received it in Acts chapter 2. And the people who are with Peter are Jewish, and Peter is Jewish, and the Bible says they were astonished that the Lord would allow the Gentiles into the church in the kingdom of God. Now, it's one thing to let those creepy Samaritans in, now it's another thing to let the Gentiles in here in Acts chapter 10. Now in Acts chapter 13, while they're praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to Paul and Barnabas and said, I want you to go to the Gentiles. And they went. And by Acts chapter 19, Paul is baptizing people in Ephesus. And the Bible says there were about 12 that received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. So let me just stop here and let me take you back to where we started. Jesus said, after you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, you shall be endued with power. You shall receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Guess what's happened? The book of Acts just went through all those. The book of Acts just went through all those. So Jerusalem, Samaria, Philip. And now Paul and Silas and Barnabas, John Mark, what are they doing? Now they're going to the entire world. And they're fulfilling the words of Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And now... The Jews, the Samaritans, the Gentiles from Asia, Africa, over toward India, Asia Minor, Europe, what's happening? The very thing Jesus said for them to do is now happening, and people are being filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? Now, how could that happen when they have known hundreds 
and hundreds and hundreds of years of separation. So I want you to think about something maybe you hadn't thought of. Would you think about the layout of the temple? So here's the temple. God laid it out. And so we know in the center of the temple is the Holy of Holies. And the only one who could come to the Holy of Holies is once a year, Day of Atonement, the high priest could come in. That's it. But outside of the Holy of Holies is another place that's the holy place. And the priests could go in there and they could minister. But outside of that, if you weren't a priest, you had to be outside of that place. And the only people who could come in were men who were Jewish. Had to be a certain age. Had to be Jewish. And then outside of that were women. But you had to be a Jewish woman and they called it the court of the women. Outside of that was the court of the Gentiles. You with me? So, so here we have the holy of holies. We have the holy place. We, we have the court of the men. We have the court of the women. Now we have the court of the Gentiles. So there's walls of partition all through here. But I just read the book of Acts to you, and guess what the Holy Spirit did? Broke down every wall and petition from men and women and Samaritan and Gentile and brought everybody into unity. That's exciting. And it happened very quickly. Why? Because we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And the Holy Spirit has been promised. The Holy Spirit has come and we receive the Holy Spirit. And we see that separation under the law and the temple. Now the walls are falling and falling and falling. And just like Paul said, we are baptized into one body by one spirit. And we are all become together, whether we're Jew, Gentile, bond, free, male, woman. Why? The Holy Spirit has come. You see, the Feast of Pentecost, when that happened, is called the Feast of Weeks because the Lord said to Moses, He said, um, I want you to count seven Sabbaths, which is seven weeks. So if you multiply seven times seven, it's what? 49. He said, and the day after. The day after would be what? 50. So Pentecost means 50. It is a 50-day celebration from Pentecost. I mean, from Passover, we get to Pentecost. And so that celebration is when the Holy Spirit came. So 50 days from Passover, we have Pentecost. And that day was a day of harvest. It was a day of first fruits, And it was also something else. Maybe you hadn't thought of this. It's also the day and the time when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. So after Passover, they leave Egypt, the blood's over the door, the Passover lamb has been slain, the blood applied, they leave, they're headed to Canaan, of course it takes them a long time to get there, about 40 years, but about 50 days after Passover, Moses goes up to the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments. And then later, the prophets would say, I'm not going to have my law always on stone. I'm going to write my law in the fleshly tables of your hearts. So when the Holy Spirit came the 50th day after Passover, the Jews still celebrate this today. They celebrate the time Moses went up on the mountain and the law came. Aren't you glad we're not under that law anymore? We should keep the Ten Commandments, but the law now is not on stone. The Holy Spirit now has written it in the fleshly tables of our hearts. Let me give you just one other before we close tonight. You remember Moses was having a hard time with that group he led out of Egypt. Anybody ever read that? <laughs> How would you like to be old Moses trying to lead them out? You got a couple of million of them. Some say maybe six million of them. 
How would you like to have six million kids in the back seat saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? There comes a time in Moses' life, and you have to go back and read this. He says, Lord, these are not my people. These are your people. I can't stand this any longer. Just kill me. Put me out of my misery. It's in there. It's put me out of my misery. And this is what the Lord said. He said, Moses, I want you to gather together in front of the tabernacle. And I want you to gather some men. There's about 70. And the Lord said, I'm going to take the spirit that comes upon you. And I'm going to take that same spirit. And I'm going to have it rest upon these other leaders. So the same spirit that rests upon you, I'm going to have that spirit rest upon them. So the burden of leading these people can be shared by you. Now, this is what Moses said. He said, the Lord is going to raise up a prophet like unto me in the last days. Guess who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And guess what Jesus has done? When Jesus come up out of the water, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, like a dove, rested upon him without measure. And now, when Jesus has ascended into heaven, just like Moses, the Lord has taken that same spirit and now has rested upon each one of us so we can share the burden share the joy share the gifts share the witnessing share the boldness that jesus christ had when he walked on this earth that gives me god bumps just thinking about that the lord said moses the same spirit that rested upon you i'm going to put on these others now just a little addendum to this story joshua ran up to Moses. And he says, listen, something, something supernatural is happening here. Not only are these 70 other men prophesying, but there's a couple of these guys that didn't show up. They're out in the middle of the camp, and they're prophesying also. Joshua said, do I need to go shut them down? And Moses said, oh, no. How many of the Lord can put his spirit upon anybody he wants to? So it's not just for one select group. It's to you, your children, all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Hey, let's keep the fire. I mean, let's keep the enthusiasm. Let's keep the passion. Let's not get to the point where we're yesterday's news because this world doesn't need some kind of lukewarm religion. This world needs the passion of Almighty God. This world needs the Word of God with boldness and fire and strength and passion preached. You know, we need to have men and women and young men and young women that are growing up in the church that are exposed to the fire, that's exposed to the passion and the power of Almighty God. And I believe we can have that here, don't you? And I believe that's what we want. That, that's our desire. We, we don't want to become a lukewarm church because I, I read in the Bible what happens to the lukewarm church. Jesus spews it out of his mouth. It makes him sick. He said, I wish you were either cold or hot. If you're going to be lukewarm, I can't handle that. So we need to have people that come and we're passionate about what God is doing. We're passionate about the things of God. We, we, we want to be like a Jeremiah. It's like a fire shut up in my bones. This is not something secondary I do. This is a passion of what we do. I, you say, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to show up. Honey, I showed up before I was the pastor. And sometimes it's even harder to show up if you are the pastor. Oh, it's really true. Let me tell you why. Because if you're passionate about Jesus and the fire of God's burning in your heart and your life, it's going to show. It's going to, it's going to be manifest, just like we have these six manifestations of the Holy Spirit here. You know, we could talk about this on and on and on. I mean, you, you can't, you know, cover the work and the, and the power and the attributes and the aspects of the Holy Spirit in 45 minutes or... 30 minutes, because the Holy Spirit's alive. The Holy Spirit wants to work through you and me. And I believe our best days are ahead.
As the world gets darker, I believe the church can get brighter and brighter and brighter. I believe there's people that you're going to, with a holy boldness, witness to, just like Jesus said in Acts 1 and 8. You're going to have the power to witness. People are going to follow you here. And they're going to come to hear the Word of God, to feel the presence of God and the power of God like they've never felt before. One Sunday, the lady who sat back over here, she came to me and she was crying. And uh, she said, Pastor Mike, something must be wrong with me. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, every time I come to church, I cry. She said, I didn't do that to the other church I went to. But she said, I come here and the music starts and, uh, and the singing starts and the preaching starts. And I, I sat back there and tears just run down my face. And I said, hon, nothing's wrong with you. You're just feeling the presence of God. You're just feeling the presence of God. Another Sunday I was walking out and back over here to my right toward the back. There was a lady there. People were filing out. And, you know, I kind of left this area and was walking out. She's sitting there. She's crying. And uh, I was joking with her, and I said, was the sermon that bad this morning? And she said, oh, no. She said, I, I, I just feel something, and, and I, I, you know, I have tears running down my face. And she said, it, it, it just feels like maybe I found me a church, and I, I just feel the presence of God. And I said, good, that's a good thing. But she said, I felt that before, and it's always been disappointing, and people weren't what they seemed to be and not what I thought they were and and I told her that Sunday as I left and she was sitting back there and I said ma'am and, and I didn't know who she was at the time I said ma'am let me assure you something as you see me here today if you see me at Walmart if you see me somewhere else I'm going to be the same person that you see me out there as I am in here this is not a show this is not a fake we're trying to be as real as we can about serving God. And that's what we should be. We should be people who are legitimately servants of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, that have a passion for the kingdom of God. Jesus is coming. And we need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We need to be very sincere. And I believe this is what's going to happen. I believe you're going to see people, you're going to interact with people, you're going to invite people. And they want something that's authentic. They want something that's real. They're not coming for the show. They're coming for the presence of God. And I believe through our worship, through our preaching, through our fellowship, through our prayer, we can have the fire of God in our hearts and our lives. And it's not just me. It's not just one or two people. Listen, I'm telling you, all of us can be that person that God is moving through in a very powerful, powerful way. To me, that's very exciting. And it should be for you too. Would you stand with me tonight? Thank you so much for being here. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.